0: I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line. If you just live to exist, you won't borrow time. Don't ever let them take a so no. No, no, don't ever let them take a so no. No, no, i will always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line. If you just live into to exist, you won't borrow time. Don't ever let them take The bottom line. Yeah, that's the bottom. Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here, and we're back on the bottom line. Um, wow, I have a very, very special guest. But before we get to our very special guest, I just want to say that um, it's been like a crazy time in our in our country and in, uh, in our world. And um, I know that it looked like we were coming out of uh, quarantine. It looked like we were coming out of Corona, and we did a bunch of episodes. And then um, and then things started getting crazy again, and um, so we've been missing for a little while, and uh, for that I apologize. But uh, I thought that it was more important. There was a lot more important things going on in the world between Corona and uh, protests and and people uh, exhibiting their their right their rights as Americans to be out in the street and saying that they're not happy and they want change. And, and I support every American's right to, uh, to scream that they want to, they want to change things. Anyways. So we're back. um, And this is actually the first opportunity that I've been able to have an in studio guest. Um, And I'm so excited to have this particular guy. As you guys know, I've had many wonderful people as guests. And as you also know, because I, I yell about it all the time, is that I invite people that I know, that I'm friendly with, to come and be on the show. And uh, Stefan Matzo is a guy that I met over the last couple of years. We, we've been involved in a, a charity event together. And um, you know, for me, God has a funny way of putting people in your path, you know? And uh, here's this giant guy (laughs) who just so kind and generous and soft-spoken and and just very friendly. Um, And so we just started talking. And then we find out, of course, that uh, we have a lot of things in common. And one of the things that we have in common Stefan will, will share it with you. But, uh, for those of you who don't know who Stefan Matu is, um, let me just say, I know I'm not talking to anybody from New York right now because everybody in New York knows who this guy is, right? Um, this guy scored one of the biggest goals, if not the biggest goal in New York hockey history, I would say, am, am I exaggerating?
1: Not at all. That's what they say. That's what they <laughs> yeah, say. That's right. What they're saying, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Stephon on that too. Thank you for coming out. Um, the one thing that is uh, that I want to share with everybody is, you know, I said, what a nice guy you are and all that other stuff. We got all, all, out of the way. Right. But the one thing that is uh, is important to me is when I reach out to somebody I know and I say, hey, would you be willing to come and share your story? with me on my podcast, right? Um, you instantly said yes, right? Which, and I'm not even sure if you knew what the podcast was about, but that's who you are. In, in, in my humble recollection of who you are in the time that I've known you is, you, you seem to be a man of service. You show up to these charity events, you show up where you're asked to be, You ask, and people ask you to be of service, and you say yes. And, um, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to be. And I think when you're that way, you open yourself up to all kinds of possibilities. So I want to thank you for, for your willingness to come here and spend some time with me. And, uh, and I'm very excited to hear about your journey. So with no further ado, my friend, Stefan Matu.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a funny way because I remember the time that we stood together at the CIBC event. And we just talk, and we just talk, and we were looking at the other guests at the in the room, and and I don't know if you came up first, and I said, "Well, I've been sober for right. 19 years," and uh, and then wait a second, well, I've been sober, like yeah, and yeah. just uh, that—that's the the synergy uh, instantly. So uh, I say yes to it, a lot of things, and then later on, I get nervous <laughs> because I look at your podcast, and I I don't fit in, like right. I I look like I am a giant. Uh, nice person, but I, I get nervous. I, get, uh, I struggle with a lot of things, but we'll share that later on. Sure. But it's, it's a way, I like to say yes because my sponsor says, stop saying no to things. You never mm. know what that, that thing's going to get you. And when you asked me, it was instantly, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do my best. That's all I can do today. And just, I'm going to do my best and tell my story. So, Beautiful. Thanks, for, thanks for having me.
0: Well, listen, that if you watch some of the other shows, we, I spend a lot of time talking about the word yes yeah right it's a little little word right see if you leave it up to me uh when somebody asks me to do something whatever it is my first thought that comes to my mind is no i don't want to do that how do i get out of that right no matter what it is not just driving somebody to the airport right which nobody should ever do right yeah but i i just try to say i live my life by the word yes right and what i do is i say yes and then i just see where the spirit leads me right and um i can also you know i can i'm a grown up i'm a big boy if i get there and it's not the kind of uh, situation that i should fi- be involved in then i know how to get out of it but um man that little word has been so good to me right because it gets me out of my own way yeah and my life is supposed to be a life of service whether that's to people that are sick and suffering from addiction or substance abuse or substance use disorder or alcoholism or whatever people call it now. Um, But in all walks of life at all times, right? I just try to say yes. I try to, because I feel like God has a plan for me, right? That's how I feel about my life. He has a plan for me. And I feel like he's constantly putting people in my journey and in my path that there's some reason right? So when we had that talk at that event in New York, right? That's what I thought about when I left. After the event was over, I said, wow, this is what was in store for me today, right? Yep. It was that openness, that willingness to share with another person. It was like you and I had, uh, we had our own little meeting that day, right there in the middle of all that. And there were 20 or 30 Gigantic celebrity people walking around, all serving at this charity event, and there were kids and there was all the stuff going on. But we just kind of drifted off into a corner, which is what I love to do because that's that's what's real. That's where the depth comes in, you know. So that was
1: magic. I remember that was so magical. So, uh, but I guess to to add on to the yes person, I guess I grew up saying yes. I I did. I always was afraid when someone I would ask someone something a favor, they would say no to me. Mm. And I said, I would never be that person. And too many, uh, a lot of times I get burned yeah. by saying yes, and then people take av- took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. But now, go uh, older, wiser, I think, more mature, and I, I, I'm capable of saying no to things that I does not feel too mm-hmm. good. So uh, but it took a, long, a lot of years to uh, to learn to say no, because saying yes to me was to- so automatically. So, mm. But now I say yes to things that... I want to do and if I know there's a purpose of helping someone then it's automatically that I'm going to say yes. Nice. So you grew up in Canada. Yeah.
0: You're you, you're living your dream right every kid in Canada I think wants to be a hockey player yeah. right or 99% of them want to be hockey players and so tell us a little bit about your journey with the sport that you love right so junior hockey school the whole thing or you, I
1: assume you did it all. They um, here in Florida I, I'm here with my f- best friend Pierre Turgeon who my mom and uh, his mom met at the hospital and Pierre was born August 28th, I was born September 2nd and that's how they met and I started to play hockey when I was 5 just like any other kids in Montreal or outside of Montreal mm-hmm. small minor town about seven north, 7 hours north of Montreal and all we did is play hockey, living room. Seven
0: hours north of Montreal. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything north of Montreal. It's,
1: it's a border line. Let's—I'm not kidding. It's the border of the, uh, northern and it's like the, the natives and the Eskimos. Ah, so it's, it's a mining towns. Very cold. Uh, we have the best weather or the worst weather, and so uh, back then in the seventies, in the we didn't have internet. We didn't have any any games, and our parents would kick our. Uh, kick the kids out of uh, to play outside. That's sure, all we yeah. did. We play baseball in the summer and hockey in the, in the winter time. So uh, I grew up with players who made the National Hockey League later later in life, and uh, that's how we push each other. But I played minor hockey, just a normal kid out there, and I played with Pierre Turgeon throughout my youth. And um, I had a chance to go to Montreal to play my triple A and my parents could not could not afford it, so we stayed home. And I had a very good season, but a uh, still a shy person, shy pl- player. Just a six foot four, hundred and sixty five pounds, and uh, <laughs> a lot of zits in my face. And yeah. I was getting bullied. I, w- I was getting bullied out there. But my talent on the ice helped me to make friends off the ice. So sure. uh, at schools also. So it was. I struggled throughout my journey, and I. Got drafted by the by the Hall Olympics. Wayne Gretzky was our the owner. That's the first year that he bought the team. He was our owner. Luke Robitaille. I don't know if you had the chance to meet Luke in L.A. Uh, Luke was on the team. We had the best team in Canada. We we made it to the uh, uh, Memorial Cup championship final. I didn't play much. I was the youngest guy, and I think sure. in. Uh, canadian hockey league like that year i didn't play much but i learned a lot the youngest guy in the league how old were you i was uh, just 16 so yeah.
0: 16 so now you're traveling around you're you're basically 16 years old but you're an
1: adult right because i'm an adult you're hanging with uh, 18 19 and 20 year old who sure. doesn't want to get any involvement with the young kid because i'm not old enough to be in a bars right and so i always felt like i was pushed aside but my talent i had a very good talent so uh 16 years old i didn't play much pat Byrne, who passed away was our coach uh, <clears throat> very tough but very fair person mm-hmm. really helped me out and uh as a 17 year old that's my draft year i had a very tough season at the beginning and pat Byrne at a meeting one time so what's going on i had no direction nothing i just went along with it because i never been pushed before mm-hmm. like that and uh he scared me. He, he faked a, um, a, f- a fake trade. He, said, We're, he asked me, he wanted me to come up to these offices. I have a plan. I'm going to play tough. I'm going to play the way that you want me to. But I could not answer because I was always afraid to mm. talk to a coach, a teacher, a police officer. I was always afraid to talk to them. And I was being the shy person that I was. And he faked a trade. I said, all right, get out of here. We traded you to another team. And and that was the worst thing that ever happened. And I I called his bluff, so I went back to his office. I said, I know you just bluffed me, because the person you talked to was in the arena. And I said, I promise you from that day on, I'm going to do my best, but I'll play the way you want me to play, because I know that's the way that I can I can become a professional. And my career just took off, and I became, a few months later I got drafted 25th overall by the Calgary Flames. and went on to play two more years in the junior league because back then we didn't have the college options. Mm. So um, being a French-Canadian, it's even harder to back then to go to a college uh, in the U.S. So I played two more years in juniors, got drafted by the Calgary Flames. I went to Salt Lake City for my first professional year. I had a very good year. They never called me up once. So the the following year, when I made the jump, there was no space for me in in the... On the team there was twenty-three men, who has a one-way contract. So, as a you look at the uh, the lineup, you know you are not going to make the team unless someone gets hurt. Right. A week before the season started, someone got hurt, and the door opened. And I played very good that week, made the team, and I never looked back. So I played. Uh, I had a thir- thirteen year t- thirteen year career, and I. Uh,
0: so you got a one week contract.
1: No, I had a we. You sign your contract uh, to, uh, on a two-way contract. Right. If you play in the minors back then, I made twenty-seven thousand. If right. I play for the Calgary Flames, who made eighty-five thousand. Right. So everybody's on a contract. Yeah. And but that twenty-three men roster were on a one-way contract. Right. So they will push the two-way contract first in the minors. Mm. So that gentleman, Colin Patterson, played long a lot of years in the NHL. Got hurt, blew his knee out out for the season. And they tried three left-wingers, similar style than Mm -hmm. Colin, and I succeeded under the the biggest pressure because you want to succeed. Mm -hmm. That's the opportunity that I had. And I ended up playing, and I never never looked back. I played 13 years in the NHL. So I played on six different teams, Mm -hmm. but my journey started with the Calgary Flames in 1990.
0: And you never got to play for the best team ever, which was the Boston Bruins. You never got to play for us. I hated to play against. <laughs> I,
1: it was fun. That's uh, my my cousin. That's their favorite team. So, uh, but to play at the old Boston Garden uh, against Cam Neely. Oh yeah, a and friend the, of mine. And I know Swin- Cam well. And the yeah. Sweeneys and yep. uh, Ray Bork, my one of my idol growing up. And uh, no, I never had the chance, and I. I played against them many, many games. So
0: there's a picture of Ray Book right, right on that wall, right there. You see that post, that poster up there with my picture on it. Yeah. Look down in the corner. Oh yes. You see Ray? That was a, a the night that that magazine came out. Both Ray and I were there, and I was like, Ray, look at you made it. You're on the corner of my cover. And he was yeah. like, What are you talking about? I was like, I don't know how this happened, Ray. This don't even make any sense to me because in Boston, Ray is huge.
1: I mean, in 92, I was playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm. And my best friend was Jeremy Roenick. Oh, yeah, I know and him too. And we went yeah. to Cape Cod. Yeah. And his in-law lived there and said, nah, we are on this boat, their boat. And so we have to, he, t- he tells me, we have to pick up one of my friends, if you don't mind. I said, I don't mind. I said, I'm here for the ride. Yeah. And we get on the beach and I get closer and closer. I said, Jesus Christ, that's the Ray Bork <laughs> and with his two sons. Yeah. I don't remember their names, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Ray Bork gets on the on the boat and uh, said, "I'm Stefan Matteau. Nice to meet you. I, you've been my idol forever." So, yeah. uh, and I got to meet him again last year. I played against the alumni, and we took a nice picture. It was so nice. Ray, so, Ray
0: wow. is a great, great guy. Let me ask you have, you: have you ever had the pleasure of meeting Bobby Orr?
1: Never had a chance.
0: I not only did I get to meet Bob, but I got to hang out with him quite a bit. He was on our show, Wahlburgers, for an episode, and uh, I played golf with him a few times. And one time, uh, you know, before we started, I was telling you that my back went out. Um, I was playing with Bobby in West Palm Beach somewhere, or Jupiter, and um, when we got to the course, he was like, I can't play, my back is killing me. Bobby, you shagging golf balls for me. Like literally he was like, Oh, I got you. I I see it. It went under that bush right in there. And he, he would go in the bushes. I mean, that's the guy he is. And I'll make a recommendation to you. If you get an opportunity to read his book, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal story because he basically gives everybody else all the credit for his success. He's like, I worked hard, but there was a lot of people involved between from neighbors driving me to practice to, you know, all these other people, um, which was, you know, I mean, talk about a legend in the game. There's really not too many people bigger than that guy.
1: It's amazing how many great players, athletes or entertainment, they're so humble. Yeah. And we feel like they should be walking around like I'm Bobby Orr out there. Right. And they're not. Like Jean-Belivaux in Montreal, I grew up as a Montreal Canadian. Uh And Guy Lafleur, I played hockey, you know, with the legends for many years with them. Right. One of the most humble person. And... That's what I like to do I hang out with some people yeah. who I'm calm with around and just uh but Mr. LaFleur is one of them and
0: I feel like, you know, I don't know a ton of people from Canada, but I know a fairly good amount of people from Canada. I haven't met a Canadian yet that I don't like. They all seem to kind of have almost a little bit of the same type of personality. Yeah. Kind of mellow, very friendly, very nice. Uh I mean, is that Is that how you're brought up there? I mean, what's the deal up there?
1: Well, up there, like uh, tough parents. Yeah. I grew up with, I could not step out of the box and just, I would get a whipping and just uh, being a hockey player, also different sports. And uh, I played with a player today, play golf today with um, Taylor O'Neill. He plays for the the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals. different sports. And he, uh, very humble guy, very nice guy, but different sport. And, uh, in hockey, I guess if you grew up and you think you're the shit out there, yeah, they'll um, they'll somebody's gonna tell you, hey, you have to stick up with the program and right. stay humble because life will, will get you to a place that you don't want to go. And I try, I tested it a few times in my twenties and my thirties, mm. and that's exactly what happened. So uh, being being a cold country, I guess you're more inside and more family oriented. Mm-hmm. Then the U.S., south, and I, that's my absorption. That's what sure. I've learned. And, uh, but being on board, I think it's something that I've learned as a, young, as a young age. Well, it's a great trait. I can tell you that.
0: Uh, so tell me about your relationship with alcohol. Like the first time no. you picked up a drink and then where that drink took you.
1: I remember, like, I was 15 years old, and I, but before that, my parents, my dad worked in a car industry with his brothers, and uh, he had two brothers, and on Friday, they, uh, after work, they would have a, uh, a beer fest in my house. And I was young, and uh, I hated it. And I swear to God, I would never do what my parents, my dad did or his, or his uncle. Uh, Uncles and on Saturday morning, I would see my dad throw up at the uh, the toilet every Saturday morning and every Sunday morning, and he always had the excuse as a young person because I don't know what. I said, "What happened that?" Well, I must have swallowed a hair, (laughs) and for about five or six years until I realized, wow, he was drunk. So uh, I think he—I don't want to put that under prayer under the bus, but he had a drinking problem. My uncle died. Just like Nicolas Cage in that movie, Leaving Las Vegas, wow. and he <clears throat> didn't drink until the age of eighteen, and then he got married. And uh, but I saw my uncle drinking straight vodka in front of me, and wow. just I hated it. And he died like that. Mm. And I swear to God, I was never gonna drink. And then I, when I played as a fifteen-year-old, I played in a league when there were seventeen and eighteen-year eighteen-year-old. I, I, I tried. I woke up. And um, in front of my friend's house, and pouring rains passed out on the lawn, and at six a.m. So that was the first time I ever drank, and I uh, I don't remember a thing. My jacket, my 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 pants were covered in mud. I I fell in a river somewhere in the mud. At first, I, had, I think I had a glass uh, mud in my glasses. So that's the first time I ever tried, and. And went on and just uh, my feeling like th- just before that, a few hours before that, I was more courageous. Alcohol gave me more power, more uh, courage to talk to someone, talk to a girl and mm-hmm. so, so all that. So, so a lot of us go through the same thing and I uh, I hated it. I swear to God I was never going to drink again. And three weeks later it just went on and once in a while I was I would drink. And I the pattern as a young age and also in my 20s and my 30s, I would get drunk, and not every single time, because I don't think all of us can sure. are drunk every single time, but I made some huge mistakes. I could have killed myself a few times, and I could have killed somebody else. So uh, in my 20s, around 25, 26 years old, and flight attendants, we, we charter our flight, and they said, I think you should slow down. I think you're going to get drunk. And I blush around that's when I realized that I after winning the Stanley Cup mm. things life was going great, and I first time someone told me maybe I have a problem and uh, then I went on a few more years and I realized that I have a problem, but I can't stop. I would stop two months, three months, and nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. then I would drink again and then I would be one instant I uh, would one time I drove with my two best friends on the roof of my pickup on my uh, towel truck and going 90 miles an hour on the highway. Mm. My third friend next to me uh, kind wow. of tell me, told me, I said, but I think you sh- should slow down. But I blame my friends because they're the ones who wanted to be on top. <laughs> so that was a huge party. And then the next day, I swear to God, again, that's when I, I was praying a lot when I was myself. When I put sure. myself in those situations, I swear to God... Um, uh, help me go through those days, and I swear to God, I'll, I'll, I'll handle it better next time. Right. It was a, a, in um, the kind of an experience. So when I realized that I had a drinking problem, when I gather all those little film together, well, I maybe I go over the over the top too many times, mm-hmm. but I could go through. I didn't know I didn't know about uh, AAs or all those meetings that we can go to and uh, and. I thought I could help myself. I could get away with it. And I was totally wrong on that that part for sure.
0: And so you finished out your career. You drank through your career.
1: Last two years, I was sober. I hit rock bottom in 2001. I don't want to go through details, but with my wife, we had an incident that night. Uh And I should have gone to jail. And I wanted to kill myself that night. And... I quit hockey, and my life was destroyed. I destroyed my family, and um, something had to change at that time. And she mm. gave me a, four or five days later, I went to a friend of mine from San Jose, uh, took me to a meeting in San Jose. I'd never been yeah. to a meeting in my life. Right. And uh, the lady was speaking that night. Uh, Rick, um, I don't know why she did that, but she felt she sensed that I was in trouble. I was crying the whole meeting. And she wanted me to get up and uh, share my story. I wasn't ready. Yeah, I was sure. like, I stood, I stood up, and I, that was my first meeting. He goes, I'm having a very tough time. I really appreciate all of you, but I'd rather sit down. And she, re- she said, no problem. I sat down. But what I realized when I stood up, somebody recognized me. Mm. And the guy was very nice. He came up to me goes, I, ju- I just realized who you are. And if you need help... There's some, a lot of sponsors, and that turned me off. And I didn't go to another meeting for the next seven, eight years. Wow. But I stopped drinking.
0: And what, what turned you off? That he recognized you? He recognized me. Yeah. And I was
1: so ashamed to be the professional athlete, right. the well-known person in my world, mm-hmm. that that person, I was a very ashamed, very, very ashamed. That was the toughest week in my life, in my career, my, totally my... In my life. But I got recognized and it turned me. But I made a promise to my wife at the time. I got divorced a few months ago. But they, I made a promise I will never drink. If you give me another chance, I promise I will never drink next to you. And we went on a week, two weeks, three weeks. And she let me back in the house. And I kept my promise for, uh, for ever since. So I've been sober for right. 18, 19 years now.
0: So tell me about that first eight years. So you go to that meeting. This ain't for me right? You've yeah. been recognized, you've been, which is, you know, it's, that's a difficulty. You know, it's something that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I assume that this person that came up to you was completely trying to just be of service, right? Absolutely. Um, and then maybe thought that that would make you more comfortable or whatever, doesn't really matter. But you left that meeting and you decided you were going to go it alone. Tell me about that that time that that just doing it on your own kind of a thing um, with no real there's no you certainly didn't have a program of recovery right you were abstinent Yeah. Um, but what was your life like were you were you growing as a person Were you I mean what was happening
1: Uh, my friend who took me to that meeting he's been sober for 40 years now and he an older but he helped me would at least I talked to someone sure But um, just by that, just to go along with that promise that I made to my wife, I thought it was good enough. Sure. And I retired, and I met some friends in Montreal who goes to a lot of meetings, A.A. C.A. meetings, and all those meetings. And my life was start to go south. And at the uh, scary moment, I had dark. uh, I made some mistakes, also not sober. I think my biggest, my darkest time when I was sober. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I jumped the fence a lot of times. Um, I needed that rush that I missed when I played hockey. So mm-hmm. I went to places that I shouldn't have done. I should. Have, I talked to people I shouldn't have uh, talked to. And uh, my friend saw that. I go. He actually sent me. Said well before, because I thought about uh, ending my life at that time and um, without go, without a drink. Without a drink. Yeah. And my life was going south sober, mm-hmm. and he saw that. He goes well. He manipulated the system, the, 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 the process. He, he goes, "I need a friend to take me to a meeting, and I would really want you to come with me." Mm. So it was a CA meeting. I never been to a, yeah. uh, I went to a 1AA meeting, but never been to a CA meeting, and never tried it before. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who tried it. Yeah. so I put my hoodie on, my baseball cap on, my sunglasses on, and everything was dark and I I, ran, I went around the, the walls, and I went to sit in the back, and please, nobody, please yeah, yeah. don't recognize me. And, uh, the next day, yeah, he needed some help. That's what he said, yeah. but uh, re- l- later on that he used that system f- for me to get in there. So I went to maybe two or three weeks. I, don't, I didn't miss a day of a meeting yeah. with him. I fell in love with the meetings. Mm. And I went to maybe fifteen meetings a week. I went in because I didn't work; I was retired. So I went to a, a, a noon meeting and one at night at seven, eight o'clock in Montreal. And I fell in love because I felt like I—all those people—I thought they were um, not the same style of people that the person that I was. I realized mm-hmm. they were—they had a lot of things in common. And I saw police officers, I saw judges, I saw. I realized well, they were not just uh, people. You, I thought they were drinking with a brown bag outside mm-hmm. and who lost everything. A lot of people uh, that I listened to had still have two or three cars in the driveway, nice houses, sure. and their sim. They had their their story was very similar to mine, and I fell in love with the meeting. So I went on and went on I mean, for about five or six years, and I've been sober for nineteen years. So I start to um, I. Found a sponsor, an older man, Gaston, who uh, is about 80 years old today. I flew to Florida in my doctor's time before that when I started doing all those meetings. And I'll, just before I wanted to end my life, I, I think my last chance was to meet him. My friend Louis, mm. who took me to that meeting, uh, goes, I think it's out of my control now. You should go see that, uh, that guru or that person. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought he was going to judge me. Not at all. And he goes, I want you to do anything, everything you want to do in life, try it. But at least talk to me, and then we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. So my life just kind of changed qu- slowly, but I had someone I could trust. And he never told a soul that what I was telling him while I was going through my tough sure. time. And I, uh, then he, here, here in Florida, here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, he goes, uh, why don't you go tell your story? I'm not ready. Because mm. you You go tell your story, whether it's two minutes or five minutes or fifteen minutes. I remember I was shaking and I uh, felt pretty good afterward because I did my best, and I um, I didn't go on in front to uh, to tell my story a lot the last uh, years. But I help a lot of kids who mm. I was not afraid to say. Well, I'm Stefan and Mateau and sure. and I'm an ex uh, hockey player that in Canada works. And you are the hockey players who come to the meetings. Yeah. And then I so said, let's go for a coffee after the meetings, the after meetings. And uh, after our meeting, and I help a lot of kids. I didn't know that. But I, by helping them, that uh, really helped me out. And uh, so I went, to, uh, well, I went to a lot of meetings, and that really helped me.
0: Mm. Nice. And so you're, you said 19 years?
1: 19 years, uh, December 1st coming up, yeah.
0: Beautiful. And so uh, you're here in Florida, you're on vacation yep. and, uh, and you're leaving too quickly for me to take you to my meeting, which I would love to do. Um, but tell me about your life today. Like, how, what does your life consist of today? I see, I can tell you one thing, the happiness, I can see it. I don't know about anybody else, but I, I can see it. I, I see you, you, you have joy which is so critical, I think. What, what, what is the sense of, of doing all these things to change your life if you're not going to enjoy it? So tell me what your life is like now.
1: It's a good point. Um, I feel that I, pre- I present myself as an happy person, mm. but I still struggle because I went, I'm just going through a divorce. Right. But the last five or six years was really, uh, I had one foot in, one foot out, and to, to move out of the house, it's the hardest thing that ever happened. But not not once I wanted to go drink. Right. That's the thing that I'm proud of. Um, finally, things exploded, got divorced, and it's not because I didn't love my my ex wife. It's just that I couldn't. I lived a lie for all those years, and I covered up because that's the thing that I I was a I was a professional liar for all those years. Mm-hmm. And what's changed the last few few months and few years is just that. Uh, I kind of let go of everything. Kind of let, like I hold on to things I didn't want to lose. My family and uh, mm-hmm. my kids. My kids are always gonna. I became a grandfather about five months ago. I only saw him once because of the uh, COVID, and right. my son is in Montreal now. Um, I see him on FaceTime all the time now. And the uh, the technology uh, is pretty good that way. And uh, sure. I kind of let things go. I mean, I still think that I. It's hard for me to go through but I, by talking to friends, talking to uh, uh, my best friend here, Pierre, who's been doing a lot of Al-Anons over the years, uh, really helped me out. And, uh, but I still like, I, I've, I like to present myself as an outgoing person, which I am. But a lot of suffering is behind me and I, uh, I think I'm, going, I'm, I'm in the right path. But I still think that I can be better a lack of meetings the last year because I went through my divorce, but that's not an excuse. Mm-hmm. But I um, I want to share that with you. I shared that with you before we started. I want to go back. There's not an excuse because of the COVID. We can do it online and stuff. So I, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Right. But the happiness is, um, life is pretty good. I still have my two kids, my grandkids. Uh, I have a girlfriend now who respect me the way that I uh, two persons should be uh, respect each other, and mm-hmm. uh, and life is pretty good. So,
0: two kids. Tell me about your kids.
1: Steph Jr. is twenty six years old. Uh, he's a professional athlete. He got drafted by the New Jersey Devils in two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. Being the son of a famous hockey players in the New York uh, area, and that was not the easiest things. But he found his niche, and he works his butt off in the minors. Mm. And just before the COVID, the virus came out. He was with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and um, he could have quit three years ago, and he never stopped. And I'm very proud of him. He be he's, he's going he was supposed to be married uh, in two weeks, and they have to cancel everything. Mm. But his life is doing. He's doing very. I'm so proud of him. My daughter's 22 years old. That uh, she just played four years from Maine University. Uh, Was a team captain there for two or three years, and uh, uh, Allison, her name, and she struggled with, um, uh, she announced to us uh, years ago she was gay, and when she was 13 years old, and she went through some phases in her life, but uh, now the divorce, uh, she took it really hard, but I feel there's a connection coming back, but uh, my friend Pierre said take, just give her space, her time and time will take care of everything. But I still text her every single night and I love you. And just, uh, so now she's working in Montreal and uh, she seems very happy. So, uh, and that's the, uh, two kids. I'm very proud of them. Divorce is tough.
0: And, and it don't matter. I think, you know, uh, my parents were divorced. My dad was an alcoholic and, and I come from a gigantic family and nine kids. And, um, my parents, When my parents got divorced, finally, I was in prison when I got the word, and it still i somehow I felt like you know this was my fault, and I think all kids kind of they carry their own baggage right um, and i've I've done a little bit of research in that particular area and it, it's tough, and people have to find their way you know and they I think as long as people are healthy and they take care of themselves and they you know, we all sort of have to be responsible to look inside, Yeah, you know, and I think if we can do that, and I think you're a great example of that now, right? You maybe weren't always the best example of that for, for your family, right? Yeah. But they see you now. They see you over the last 19 years. They see you being able to walk away from this thing that was destroying your family. Um, and I think that's a great example. I never... Had that opportunity with my dad. My dad ended up having a stroke, and he literally forgot that he drank, and that he smoked cigarettes. He literally <laughs> completely forgot. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, but we did. We 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 healed together a lot. And when I tell you, I got I had no relationship with my dad, um, and then I got sober, and he started. He got sick, and he ended up coming to live with me, and it was the greatest thing. That we were able to, we we were able to heal. I was able to hear things from my dad that I longed to hear all my life that I never heard. Right? I love you. I'm proud of you. All those things I never heard them. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Um, my uncle, who is 94 now, and he's he's a great guy with a lot of wisdom. But I had lunch with him about two years ago, oh, yeah. and he said to me. I want to know about my brother as a dad, right? Cause my dad, my dad's been passed for, for a number of years now. And, uh, he said, I knew him as a brother, but I never, I don't know what kind of a daddy he was. I know you guys struggled. I know you didn't get along. And, and, uh, and I told him, I said, you know, I don't think I ever heard the words, I love you unless I smelled alcohol and he pondered that for a minute. And then he said, wow, he said, you're lucky you heard it at all because we never heard it, right? And it was the first time that I was able to look at my dad and try to understand where he came from, right? But it came and the healing came. And um, so I'm not sure where I'm going with that, except to say that as we're both parents, I have three children as well and they're, and they're adults. Um, the best thing we can do is be, is be that example right, by staying healthy, by growing as a man, by doing all that we can to be the best man that we can be. Because I think we both realize that you can take, you can remove alcohol from the equation. You can remove drugs from the equation. You can remove all that from the equation. And I can still be not well. I can still be sick. I can still, I can suffer from alcoholism without picking up a drink. And um, so it's a constant, it's a constant thing. And I'm I'm encouraged by your words of saying, I wanna get back and I wanna do more and I wanna, because I know that's where the healthiness comes from, Mm -hmm. right? I think sometimes I've had times in my journey, I've been blessed to be clean and sober for 32 years. And there've been times where I did the work to get to what I thought was the desired shore of faith, like, and I was happy and everything was great. And this thing that we have is so funny because it makes us forget all the work we just did and all the suffering that we went through. And then I get to that place where I think "Oh, I'm okay now and I don't go pick up a drink, but I just start to think I'm a great guy. I'm just going to do my thing. And I forget about being of service. I forget about keeping my hand out. I forget about taking care of myself. I forget about my spiritual condition because for me today with 32 years, what I realize is it's all about today. What am I doing today? to be of service to others. What am I doing today to what, how, how am I improving my spiritual condition today? Not yesterday. I don't get to coast. I I, I don't. Um, so I'm excited that you clearly, um, you know, even before we put the cameras on and before we turn the mics on, we started to talk and we talk about what's important, yeah. this recovery thing that we have. And um, I'm excited that you were talking about maybe, You know, moving down here. So that's an opportunity for me to be of service. We can go hang out, we get to some meetings, do the thing, and and be and be the men that we're supposed to be. Right? Because I can be the guy I used to be. It's not even that hard, right? I wanna be the best husband I can be. I wanna be the best father I can be. I wanna be the best friend I can be, I wanna be the best employer I can be. Right. Because I'm not always this Kirby's here. He'll tell you sometimes I'm not I'm not that great. But I think for the most part, I do all right. But, you know, there's and I want to take opportunities. And you said it earlier about sort of mentoring younger, younger people. Right. Um, there was a time that I had nothing to offer anybody. Right. And now I have a little something to offer people in the way of wisdom that I've developed over these years of introspection looking inside because what i think you get to a certain point in life when you realize it's not an outside job it's an inside job like i can get all the fancy stuff but if i'm not happy i mean you were without a drink for many years and thinking about ending your life
1: yeah you know i wanted to help i wanted to save the planet but the last person i wanted to help it was myself it was the last person i very generous person I took care of everyone, and I was worrying. But I, my daughter wrote me a letter. Said, "Dad, I want you to be happy. Like, yo, I'm always gonna be your little girl. And uh, but first of all, take care of yourself because mm. it's, so we see it, that you're suffering, but you are still out there in New York and greet the, uh, the New York fans and stuff. So, but I, but that things change, it's changing slowly. It's a process, and it's. Uh, I know I'm a great guy. I know I'm a great friend, and so. But I have to take care of myself first before I take care of somebody else. And I, I the journey is doing, I'm doing pretty good. But there's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I don't beat myself up for things I didn't do last week or two months ago, three months ago. That's the things change, that that's changing for me. And uh, I'm leaving today. Today had a great day. Yesterday had a wonderful day. We went bowling, went on the ocean, and I went fishing with my buddy. And but today we went golfing. And uh, I'm here to here, I'm here with you guys tonight, and so tomorrow, just uh, hope. I'm not hoping. I know it's going to be a good day, but tonight, I'm very grateful to be here, to be honest. Well, we're grateful to have you,
0: and, um, and I look forward to what God has in store for us, yeah. right? Because um, you said some very important things about giving, 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 giving. My wife still says that to me now. We've been together. My, my wife and I are celebrating 25 years this year. Congrats. And, and we're celebrating that fact, you know, which is a blessing. I can't even believe it because, you know, there were years that we, we wanted to kill each other, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, with growth and whatever, and, our, and we have God in our relationship, which has been key for us. But um, she says it all the time. She's like, you give, 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 give you got to take time for yourself. Um, I just find so much joy in giving and it's a distraction. And you know what? And I was told that was okay, that it was a distraction, that it was okay to distract yourself from yourself. Right. And I was told that, you know, that, you know, like working with a new combo will, will, it will help me to forget about my troubles and focus on somebody else because Sometimes I like to think that the world revolves around me, you know? Um, And I had my daughter, uh, who's 23 years old, came to me about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I went. um, I was, you know, sober 22 years. And on the outside, it looked like everything was fantastic, right? I had a beautiful home, a beautiful family, you know. I had stuff, but I wasn't happy, right? And I was hearing from people in the meetings about this, having a relationship with God and having the spiritual aspect of the program was critical and all this stuff. And I was like, I always thought they were lying to me. Right, I was like, I don't believe you, right? And my, I got invited to a retreat, a men's retreat and, um, and I didn't want to go. And my daughter came to me and she said, Daddy, I want you to go. I want you to be happy. And I was like, she was 12 years old, and my 12 year old daughter knew I wasn't happy, right? She when felt I spent, she
1: felt it, yeah, right?
0: I spent all my time trying to convince everybody that I was happy, right? Uh, but I wasn't. I was an unhappy person. I had no joy in my life, and uh, it's a process, right? Because I don't wear my I don't wear my joy on my face. I grew up hard. I grew up hard, man, and so. I sometimes, um, the way I feel, the happiness I feel inside doesn't always translate and get here. And that's a problem because then I'm not welcoming to others. Right. And if I'm not welcoming to others, then how am I going to be of maximum service to them? How am I going to be a, how, how can I help them if my face says stay away from me? Yeah. Right. And it, it's, that's what 32 years, I mean, so it's a process and we keep chipping away and chipping away um, but I can tell you this, that the last 10 years have been the happiest years out of the entire journey. The last 10 years have you. been fantastic, but I know that, um, that I can't rest on that, that I can't say, Oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I got it now, yeah. right? It's like golf, right? Gosh. You get out there on the golf course, you play a nice round and you think, Oh, I finally got this game figured out. Now I got my driver working, my three woods working, my irons working. I'm putting. I, I figure it yeah. out. I got it now. Yeah. And then the next day you go shoot 120, right? That's life. Is yeah. life is like golf, man? It's not easy, and um, and I need to, I need to try to, I need to try to. I find joy in giving. I find joy in being of service. I find joy in trying to get out of my own way, right? And I try to squeeze as much as I can into a day because who knows, man, especially with all that's going on in the world now, could be the last one. You never know. Uh, Stefan, I want to, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank, thank you for your openness, your honesty, your willingness to share your story with us. Um, I, like I said before, I look forward to what God has in store for us, uh, as friends. Uh, I'm excited by the prospect that you might be spending some more time down here and, uh, yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thanks
1: for having me. That was great. And
0: uh, thank you. All right, brother. Thank, thank you. you. All right.
1: And now an
0: announcement for the recovery community. Hey, guys. Jim Wahlberg here. Please listen. This is important. Anyone can be affected by the prescription opioid crisis. If you think you've been hurt by Purdue or its prescription opioids like OxyContin, you may be entitled to compensation as part of Purdue's bankruptcy. But you have to file a claim. Claims may include overdose, death, substance use disorder, lost wages, neonatal abstinence syndrome. A confidential claim can be filed by individuals, a legal guardian, by survivors or relatives of people who have died or are disabled. The deadline to file a claim is July 30th, 2020, or you will lose your right to file a claim at all. For more information, visit PurduePharmaClaims.com. Or you can call the toll-free number on the screen, 1-844-217-0912.
1: Once again, that's purduefarmaclaims.com. Hey guys, Jim
0: Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Listen, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page at Wall Street Productions. And I also want to remind you, push that little bell. Just push it, man. It takes one second. Then that will notify you when anything's going on with the bottom line. Thanks.